all doing tonight? Come on. I know you guys. Did you guys have a nice Labor Day weekend? You get to hang out. Okay. Freshmen. How many freshmen in here? Raise your hand. It's a lot of freshmen. Go freshmen. How many of you went home this weekend? That's still a lot of you. Some of you are at home if you're a townie and stuff. But uh, we're glad that you're here tonight. We're glad that you get to come hang out with us. Uh, my name's Tom Trask, if this is your first time at service. I am the campus pastor here and have been for the past, well, this is my 15th school year. So for you freshmen, I was like, you were like three when I took over this ministry. I'm getting old. I admit it. I understand. But uh, we are glad to have you here tonight. Uh, do me a favor. We do have a couple guests with us here tonight. Uh, we have Tanner and Courtney Sherlock back in the corner. Raise your hand. There you go. They are Chi Alpha directors at Shadron State. Uh, and if you don't know where Shadron State is, it's not really a state. But it's uh, what? About as cl it's a lot closer to Denver than it is here, isn't it? Yes. But uh, Tanner, uh, you played football at Colorado State. You know? Yeah, it's a big deal. Everyone's, ooh, it's fancy. All right. And, but you got saved in Chi Alpha at Shatter, correct? He's got a great testimony. Catch him after service, talk to him, uh, give him hugs. Whether He, he kind of looks like your friendly neighborhood bouncer, but he's nice. <laughs> Don't be afraid of him. He is, a, he is an awesome guy. Courtney is an awesome woman. And they just came over tonight to hang out with us and kind of just check out what we're doing here. So make them feel good and stuff. Yes. And I would also like to thank the Lord for air conditioning this week. Yeah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Yeah. Man, I'm just going to be honest. Last week was awful. I mean... Nothing more than we love when first-time visitors come to service and we give you just a taste of hell. So, like, we try not to scare you that early, okay? But, yes, I went there. I, I debated before. I'm like, Do yeah, let's, why not? There we go. If it's truth, it's truth. But uh, we're just glad that we're here tonight and get to hang out and praise the Lord. I'm going to jump into stuff and... Uh, I just want to pray really quickly and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you all. Father, send your Spirit tonight. Let us have ears to hear, eyes to see, tender hearts to what you want to say, Lord. God, we pray for changed lives. You are the change bringer. We welcome you. Amen. Okay. Hey, so last week, we were hanging out with Jesus, and we saw that Jesus was hanging out with these, quote-unquote, notorious sinners. For those of you that were here last week, what made these sinners notorious? Anyone? Their sin was public. It was known. That's correct. And Jesus goes on to tell this story that taught us a few things about him as our shepherd. First thing we learned, Jesus is righteous. Or, more importantly, Jesus is right. He is a shepherd that is has both the knowledge and the wisdom to provide the best life for his sheep. Second thing we saw, we're all lost. doesn't matter if your sin is known publicly or not. We have all sinned. We are all apart from God. And we can't get ourselves unlost. We need help. And finally, Jesus is looking for us. 
He's the one that can help us get unlost. He doesn't leave us stranded in the wilderness. He comes. He finds us where we're at. And He gently carries us home. Just a reminder. Two things here. The weight of our sin is never too great for Jesus to carry. You may feel dirty. You may feel gross. You may feel heavy. It's light for Jesus. And also, Jesus cares more about His reunion with His sheep than the sin that separated them to begin with. He's a forgiver. He isn't going to hold your sin against you. He wants good relationship with you. And so, we learned that last week. Tonight, we're going to be looking at another story that Jesus tells us about the shepherd's purpose, and it's found in John chapter 10. The reason for this teaching is very similar, basically similar circumstances to the reason that caused Jesus' teaching last week. And that reason is rejection. Last week, it was notorious sinners that were rejected by the Pharisees, the religious leaders that were supposed to help them. This week, it was a blind man whom Jesus healed that was rejected once again by these Pharisees. I love this story, though, the, the story of the healing of the blind man, because it's unique. It's different than a lot of Jesus' teachings. You see, a lot of times, people in the Bible, when they want to get healed, they come looking for Jesus. They're the ones chasing him down, they're screaming on the street, Jesus, heal me! We don't see that in this story. In this story, it seems like the guy is just hanging out on the side of the road begging, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes along, slaps some mud in his eyes, and tells him to go wash it off. And I'm sure the guy was like, well, of course I'm going to go wash it off. You just put mud in my face. I don't appreciate that. I'm sure he had been treated like mud his whole life. I'm sure this wasn't that big of a surprise to him. He just didn't understand the rationale. And so he goes, he washes his face off, and something happens. A miracle happens. And he's excited. I'm sure he was just excited, and he expected other people to be excited, but when you read the story, people weren't excited. People just questioned him. Are you really the same guy? Yes. Yes, I can just see now. But who, who healed you? I, I don't know. Some guy named Jesus. Well, where is he? I don't know. I couldn't see the guy. <laughs> and then they take him. And they take him before these Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they should have been the ones celebrating the most with him. They were the shepherds. They were the spiritual leaders. They were the ones that were supposed to be helping. And yet, all we see are more questions. And accusations. Accusing Jesus of being a sinner because He broke their many, many man-made rules.
And it gets to the point that they are frustrated with this guy and the miracle that has happened that they cast him out of their church. And so I'm sure the guy is blown away. He's probably wandering in the streets being like, I started my day blind like I have every other day of my life. And now I can see, but I am still rejected. This doesn't make sense. But Jesus finds him. Jesus speaks to him. The blind man sees him. And then he follows the one that healed him. You see, Jesus didn't heal the man because he believed. Jesus healed him so that he would believe. It is Jesus' work that proves who he is. Tonight we're going to see some more of Jesus' work. And so this sets up Jesus' illustration and his teaching on the good shepherd and the sheep. Sheep and shepherds in the Bible are kind of a popular topic, if you don't know. Um, let's see here. Sheep are mentioned about 500 times in the Bible. Shepherds are mentioned like 100 plus times in the Bible. So it's safe to assume they have a lot of meaning here. The first five verses that we're going to read tonight, this is the illustration. And this is where Jesus is going to base stuff off. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If you don't, just read the screen behind me as I read. Starting in verse 1. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a shepherd fold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Okay, that's a whole lot of sheep stuff. If you don't get all the analogies about sheep and stuff, don't feel bad. Jesus, the people that Jesus were talking to, that own sheep didn't even understand what he was saying. Jesus had to sit there and explain to them. But before we get too deep into this, I, I want to ask you guys a question. And we've got to be honest with ourselves. Okay? On some level, how many of you in this room tonight have trust issues? I do. You know, occasionally you meet like the unicorn person that, I trust everyone, and then they get hit by a car. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's a part of it. I, on sub-level, we're all like, mm, I'm not sure if that person has my best interests at heart. And, uh, okay, we're going to have a relationship talk at some point this semester. I'm going to give you guys forewarning. When you get married, a guy's job is to ask permission of his wife before using her as examples, okay? I don't ask my child, I just do it. I definitely oh, ask my wife. And so where's my wife? Missy, Missy, come here, bud. Come on, come on. 
Sorry, I'm used to talking about dark. Yes. Stay, Taylor. All right. (laughs) All right, folks. You saw a picture last week. Now you get to see the real thing right in front of you. Come up here. This is my beautiful wife of going on, what, almost 17 years now? Boom. That's a long time. You stuck with me. That's cool. (laughs) I'm just going to be honest with you. Once again, I ask permission. My wife has what you would call some trust issues. She is from a state called Maine. If you've ever been to Maine, those people are not very trusting in any way. Uh, Early on in our marriage, she wouldn't make eye contact with me, which is weird when you're married to someone. Like, she would... (laughs) I mean, we would talk, and she'd be staring at the ground. I'm like, what are you looking at? This is my, I just, I'm not used to that. We've gotten better. We'll lock eyes. There we go. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, but even then, like, it, over the years, honestly, people in Maine kind of have a stoic look on their face all the time, kind of unhappy. And so I would ask her, I'm like, are you, are you unhappy? No. What would make you think that? The lack of any expression on your face. But, you know, and so... Can you tell your face? Can you tell your face that then? Yes, I, I would. And so, but she explained to me that in Maine, basically, they thought anyone that had a smirk on their face were up to something. And then you move to a place like Missouri where everyone smiles all the time. And, and so it was difficult for her to adjust take you back a few years, like I said, when some of you were like three. Uh, Missy and I did our first leadership retreat here at Mizzou, and that was before we even had spoke here. And we went to this leadership retreat, and at leadership retreats, you have to do what we call team building events and activities, because that's what you do. This year, this first year that we're doing, we weren't really running things, we were just kind of there, and they did their own variation of the trust fall. They had the circle of trust. And so basically they had a circle of people where they put Missy in the middle of it, and they're like, okay, close your eyes, cross your arms, and just fall. And so basically you just kind of get passed around. And you can get that, you know, you become a human weeble wobble is what it comes down to. And you could get people moving. And it was going pretty well for a second or two uh, with Missy. And she had her eyes closed and she was going around and, you know, it, it was working. Until one girl, literally, she was coming right toward, you know, Missy was coming towards her. And the girl stepped out of the way. Didn't, I mean, we're not even telling, didn't even... Not even the illusion of trying, but she put her hands behind her back. And Missy went face down with her and kind of bounced off the ground. You had your eyes closed. You could not see. She was not happy, going to be honest with you. And looking back now, kind of was foreshadowing of this girl's future on leadership. She ended up quitting like a month into the school year, and she was not a pleasant human being most of the time. So we should have known this was someone we couldn't trust. Since that time, Missy, we we, we took that game out of leadership retreat to begin with, and Missy 
has since struggled with trust. I said I asked for permission from one thing. Sometimes in a marriage, you just kind of roll the dice and you do stuff. How many of you would like to see Missy overcome her trust issues tonight? Yes! Yeah! (laughs) Oh, you can't say no to me. Right, you love me. (laughs) And so, Blaze, do you have some young men that will assist tonight? Yes, come, come. All right, boys, you got to do me a favor. No, no, what we're going to have you do, we're just having you do a trust fall right off the stage, baby. You're going to cross your arms again. You're going to go. We believe you can do it. All right, boys, don't drop my wife for obvious reasons, but this illustration's going to be horrible if you do, okay? <laughs> so, all right, just close your eyes, honey. Boys, are you ready? I know. All right, everyone, in three, two, one, go. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Yes, you can go, honey. I, you may escape now. So, <laughs> Oh, th- thank you. Thank you. That's what you call a good wife right there. Very, very good wife. It's a humorous way to look at things, but I mean, if we're honest with ourselves in life, there are many of us that we do struggle with trust issues. They said they would do something. They said they would care for us. They said they would be there during hard times, but when the storm came, they ran for shelter, and I got wet. You see, that hurt and pain, when it compiles on itself, when it gets infected, it causes us not to trust other people. And a lot of times, we avoid Groups where we might have to be vulnerable. And you see, these trust issues cause people to fight a natural instinct. See, I believe inside of us, we all have a natural instinct to gather together, to flock. Last week, we learned that sheep are prone to wander. Even in the best circumstances, even if they have everything they need, we know sheep will eventually wander off and get lost. Tonight's sheep fact is that sheep instinctively flock together. They were created to be social animals. It's in their DNA. They like community. Sheep won't even start eating unless there are three, or excuse me, four or five other sheep surrounding them. And part of the reason they like to flock together is for safety. You know what you're looking at when you see a sheep by itself? Dinner. The bigger the flock, the less chance they're going to be attacked by a predator. You see, much like sheep, we are created to live in community. We're relational. 
God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And you see, Jesus establishes his church for two reasons. One, obviously a big one, is to advance his kingdom. He wants people to know him. But two, he also provides the church as a place for, where Christians can come together and flock. To provide a community that will help us grow. That will help protect each other from predators. I'll tell you, whenever I see Christians who won't flock together, it usually falls into one of two categories. This is based off of like 17 years of ministry. If Christians don't flock, it's because of priorities or pain. Every single year, I, I deal with students who are like, Tom, I know I need to be involved in church. I know I need to get involved in a life group. I need to give back and do something for the Lord. And inevitably, a month or two into the school year, they disappear. And I'll see them on campus, and it's not to make someone feel guilty, but I will tell them, we miss you. We like having you around. It's because we actually care about you. And most of the time, people are pretty cool about it. You know, they're like, you know, sorry, Tom, I just got busy with school or work or these other things. I know I should, you know. And most of the time, people have a good attitude. Occasionally, you get someone that throws you a little bit of attitude, and the staff are, are going to know when I say this. You know, occasionally, we get a student that is like, Tom, let me make something clear to you. I am here to go to school. I'm not here to go to Chi Alpha. I'm not here to go to Life Group. I am here for school. And of course, as a minister, I must be nice. I must say things well. And so, I will nicely phrase it, hey, you're right. You're at Mizzou. You're at Stevens. You're at Columbia College for school. But let me remind you, you are on this earth for God. Do not forget where your priorities are. But more times than not, I've seen students who won't flock together, who won't be involved because of pain in their life. Someone in church has let you down. Maybe a friend or maybe someone in authority made promises that they didn't keep and they abandoned you during the tough times. I cannot make up for the pain that you've experienced. I cannot Go back in time and change things. But I do want you to start the healing process by me saying I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you got hurt. I'm sorry if you felt rejected. I'm sorry that things didn't work out the way you thought. See, the body of Christ works well when we're all doing what we should. The biggest flaw 
of the body of Christ is also you and me. Each and every one of us, we are still sinful. We still make mistakes. I can't promise that I'm going to be perfect. I can't promise Chi Alpha will be perfect. But I want to assure you, I know a good shepherd who is worth following. In this teaching, Jesus tries to establish trust from the very beginning with the people that He's talking to. You see, He's addressing people who have been rejected. Who were left out. And hurt by leaders and institutions that were supposed to help them. Jesus opens up both the illustration and His teaching by saying, I tell you the truth. 25 times in John's Gospel, we see the phrase, I tell you the truth, or depending on your translation, you will see uh, truly, truly, or for our King James fans, barely, barely. This word in the Greek means amen. And yes, it's the same word that we tag on at the end of prayers that means, you know, we agree with what was said, so be it. But when Jesus puts it at the beginning of a teaching, it takes on a whole different meaning. See, when he tells us, I tell you the truth, he was saying, I am a first-hand witness of what I'm saying. I am a witness to the truth. And it's, it's like Jesus is saying, I was actually at the beginning when all truth was established. Because he was. John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus was there. Even today, First-hand knowledge holds more weight in court than hearsay. I heard someone did this. That kind of witness doesn't, get, doesn't do anything. But you put someone on the stand that saw the scene firsthand with their own eyes, those people have the ability to convict or to set someone free. Jesus is saying to his listeners, I am the witness. You want to question someone? Question me because I know the truth. I am the truth. And Jesus understands a very important fact about trust. Trust is built on truth. As a dad, I have to be honest with my daughter. I have to tell her the truth so that she knows that I can be trusted, even if she doesn't want to hear it. You know, I've been teaching her to climb door frames, and she does it everywhere. Just watch my wife's Facebook page. And I showed her how to do it so that she could go higher and higher. And I was honest with her. I'm like, Taylor, if you do this and you fall, you can get hurt. 
And my goal wasn't to scare her. I want her to go higher and higher. I just need her to understand that daddy needs to be there. Because if daddy is there, he will catch her if she falls. Jesus is honest with us about the realities of life. There is danger in the world we live in. He doesn't want you to be afraid. The Bible makes that clear a multitude of times. But he wants you to be aware that there is a thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a wolf that wants to attack and scatter the flock. Jesus told us those things to make us aware of our need for Him. Remember, God makes happy those who realize their need for Him. And I think too often as Christians, a lot of us, we are afraid to speak the truth because we are afraid the truth is going to push people away. Here's the thing. It's not our responsibility to make decisions for people. It's our responsibility to clearly articulate the truth in a loving way so that people understand the choice they need to make. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. You see, truth and love go hand in hand. I have a love besides my Jesus and my wife. It's called coffee. I have, like, no other vices in my life. I like my coffee. And I, in this cup, isn't just Folgers. I don't let that stuff taint my cup. Okay? In this cup is Jamaican Blue Mountain Coffee. One of the most expensive, one of the greatest tasting coffees in the world if you're not a coffee connoisseur. Okay? <laughs> it is amazing. And I know that if I said, hey, Lewis, would you like some Jamaican Blue Mountain Coffee? Lewis is going to say yes. The truth is like hot coffee. Okay? I can offer it to a person, but if I don't give you anything to hold it with, it's just going to burn your hands. Love is a cup that holds the hot coffee. But offering love Without the truth is like offering someone a cup of coffee and then giving them an empty cup. It's disappointing. It leaves you empty. I want my Jamaican blue. Where is it? See, love is the vessel in which we convey the truth. At that point, people can hold on to it and they then can decide if they want to drink it. Sorry, Lewis, you are not giving my coffee. All right. But you can have Jesus. That's cool. <laughs> Much better. Jesus tells us the truth because he wants us to trust him. He wants us to go higher and higher with him. 
because he's there to protect us. He wants us to reach our limitless potential in him. The second fact about trust you need to under, you, I want you guys to know tonight is that trust is built on action. Lots of people talk a good game, but actions speak louder than words. And what's awesome is that my Jesus does both. He spoke the truth and he lived out the truth. Jesus explains to his listeners that they can trust him because he protects them in two different ways. The first way is that Jesus is a gate. I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You see, in verse 7 and 9, Jesus identifies himself as the gate. The gate was the opening of the sheep's fold. You see, during the day, the sheep would hang out in the pasture, they would graze, they would do their sheep thing, and then at night, the shepherd would bring the flock back to the sheepfold for safety. The sheepfold, basically a big area, was you know, got walls, it was enclosed, uh, kind of set up with big field stones, and then on the top of those, on top of the wall, you would have like thorny branches and stuff, to keep animals out. And this sheepfold had a singular entrance. Often, the shepherd, would he stood at the entrance, ushering in the sheep. Many times, he would actually sleep at the mouth of that entrance. And he literally became the gate for the enclosure. And in the morning, to return to the pastures, the sheep would pass by him. You see, as the gate, Jesus was the way to safety. And he is the way to the happy life that we all want. Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, both in the life that we have on this earth and in the world yet to come. And as I was praying and working on this message, I felt the Lord gave me something specific that I'm not going to hang here long, but I believe that some people in this room, you need to hear. There are some people that you mistake a pasture for a prison. You mistake protection for punishment. I think too often we see Jesus' commands or even his proximity as a prison. Ah, can't do anything. Can't go have fun. It's so confining to be here. I just want to be free. You see, by Jesus becoming the gate of the sheepfold, he wasn't trying to keep the sheep from going out. He was preventing other things from coming in. 
that thief, that robber, that lion. God's rules and God's commandments are meant to help prevent sin from sneaking into our lives. The sheep, they can't see over the wall. They can't see what's on the other side. But we have a shepherd who can. We're like those sheep. We can't see every possible scenario that might happen, but our Jesus can. He wants to keep sin out. He wants us to be close to Him. And part of having a rich and satisfying life that Jesus came to give us is not having sin ruin our lives. So stop looking at your Christianity and your relationship and being in the sheepfold with the Lord as a prison because it's His protection over you. You want to be alone? Ooh, I can tell you what's waiting for you on the outside. The second way Jesus protects the sheep, He's a good shepherd. Verse 11, He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hands run away because he's only working for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have laid... For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and I also, and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. When I read that, I kind of think of one of those AT&T commercials that you see on TV. Hey, have you worked with Dr. Francis before? Yeah, he's okay. Just okay? Yeah. Okay is not okay in a doctor. And it's definitely not okay in a shepherd. Jesus makes the distinction between good and okay in verse 11. You see, a good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. He gives up his life in place of the sheep. You see, the thief didn't come to steal the shepherd. The wolf didn't come to attack the shepherd. He came to attack the sheep. Satan is coming for you and me, and Jesus became our substitute. He took on our sins, and He died in our place. He is our life. You, you want to know in your life whether you have a job or a calling? It's sacrifice. Let me give you an example of this, okay? This is 18-year-old Tom, so hopefully I've grown up since then. 18-year-old, 
Went to college. Got my first real job. Worked at Payless Shoe Source. High quality place, let me tell you. For a year. Uh, making a whopping $9.27 an hour. I worked up to that level, man. Working hard. I mean, basically, my job was threefold. One, stack the shelf, Tom. Can do. Two, reorganize the shelf because people can't put shoes back in a box, evidently. And then three, monitor the customers. Uh, honestly, you know, before Payless Shoes went out of business, it wasn't exactly known as a super high-quality store to begin with, you know, with, you know, not the greatest shoes in the world. Uh, we didn't have Nikes, we had Mikeys, you know. It was, it was pretty low end. And the store I worked at was not in the greatest part of town. Um, I think we, held, we had the highest theft rate of any store in southern Missouri. Um, it, was, it was just a little bit iffy, you know. And so part of my job was to assist customers but to keep my eye on them, too. Don't steal our $15 shoes, you know. And so it would happen all the time. You know, you'd get someone, they'd usually work in pairs, you know, one of them would get you in the back and talk to you and stuff, and you'd hear some rustling, and all of a sudden you see, you hear the dinging of the door as they're running out and stuff, and they're like, all right, I got to go. And I'm like, well, there goes another pair of maybe $20 shoes today. We don't know. And, you know, it, it was a part of it. One night, I'm working with the assistant manager, and this family comes in, and they have a baby and a stroller, and they're walking around, and they're all spreading apart and stuff, and it's like, mm, this isn't a great sign. And so I'm hanging out by the front door at the cash register, and the assistant manager's kind of watching them and stuff. All of a sudden, you hear this commotion, and the family comes running out, you know, and you know, they got their baby carrier going like 80 miles an hour out the door. My assistant manager's in the back. She comes running up. I saw them steal shoes. They put shoes under the baby. Tom, go run out to the parking lot and get those shoes back. Do you know what my response was? <laughs> no. No, I just laughed at her. There's no way I'm running out to our dark parking lot in the middle of the night over a pair of $15 shoes for $9.27 an hour. I don't love these shoes. I didn't hand-stitch these shoes. I don't care about the shoes. I'm not going out there. Needless to say, I never got another raise at Payless while I worked there. I was just a hired hand. I was just there for the job and the money. But Jesus, he isn't a hired hand. He's the owner. See, sacrifice defines a shepherd. He invested his own blood into us. You want to know whether you can trust a pastor, a mentor, a life group leader, look at their lives. Do they truly sacrifice themselves when the enemy attacks their flock? Do they do more than just the job? 
Some people, they just check off boxes in their walk with Christ. There is more to being a shepherd than checking off boxes. They need to lay it all on the line when the enemy attacks. I say this with all sincerity. We are very, very privileged to have a lot of good shepherds in this ministry. We are far from perfect, but we have staff and give years that, let me tell you, aren't here for a check. Actually, many of them gave up very good checks so that they could lay their life on the line for you. When I look for a new student leader, one of the biggest things I am looking for is will this man or woman sacrifice for the students that I put in their charge? Or will they go through the motions? I don't care about the size of someone's life group. I care will they fight for their sheep. And I believe that we have a group of leaders who will. People who you can trust. You see, Jesus raises up shepherds who will voluntarily sacrifice their lives for his sheep just as he did for you and me. See, this story reflects something that Jesus says just a few chapters later. See, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I say these things so that you can trust me in what I have for your life. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. We're going to go ahead and wrap up.